Imagine that. I don't know if you've thought about that, but we're joining with all of the saints in heaven this morning. Our praise reaches the throne of God in heaven. And they are around His throne singing. We're joining with them. We're joining with all the saints around the world in worship this morning. It's not just us. It's the church worshiping the King who is in control. How do I know He's in control? Because everything goes well in this world? No, because He raised His Son from the dead. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He went under the power of death for a time, but He raised Him from the dead on the third day. And He ascended and He's reigning now. He was seen by over 500 people at one time and it wasn't a mass hallucination. He turned a group of cowering men into heroes who died for Him and changed the world with His gospel message. The gospel is true. The Lord is on the throne. Jesus has risen from the dead. And that good news is going to the ends of the earth. Look to Him this morning. Trust Him and you will find hope in the midst of the darkness of this world. This is a lost and fallen world that hates God that wants to go its own way, that wants to break his shackles from them so that they don't have to... See, when we're lost, we see it as a burden to obey him. We think he's trying to squelch our fun. He's trying to lead us in paths of righteousness. Yes, for his name's sake, but for our good. Let's get our eyes above this world and the mess of this world and all the stuff that's going on in this world and, and, and look up to the one who reigns and who will reign forever. And no, that is not the sermon yet. Look with me in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. What we've done is we in our 915 class um, watched and discussed a video called Spirit and Truth. And it's a pretty recent documentary. I would encourage you to get it and to watch it. But it it is called Spirit and Truth. And it's talking about what it means to worship God in spirit and truth. It addresses a lot of the errors in our contemporary culture and a lot of the ways that that people um, have misunderstood what worship is and how to do it. And that's ancient. It goes all the way back to Cain. And it goes back to Nadab and Abihu and the golden calf. And in the New Testament, we saw in Corinth where some had died for not partaking in the Lord's Supper rightly. So God is serious about His worship. He's given us everything we need to know in His Word on how to worship Him rightly. Worship Him according to His Truth. So it's not a freewheeling affair. It, it matters. It matters how we worship God. And so we've gone through talking about that. I'll point you back to previous sermons. Uh, even last week was we broken spirit and truth into two sermons, but you can never really separate that, worship in spirit and truth. Uh, we'll talk about that. We're in John chapter 4 looking at this beautiful story of Jesus intentionally going after the woman the sinful woman that he would meet at the well, that he would reveal himself to and call to faith in him, that he would fill with joy to such an extent she would run to all of the people in the town, even though they probably didn't respect her, proclaiming that the Messiah had come and draw them out to him and see him and him teach them such that a town was changed. It's an interesting little section in chapter 3 and chapter 4. You have two people having discussions with Jesus, don't you? And they're they're in different dress, but they both have the same need. They need to know that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and turn and trust in Him. So we've read this story last week. I won't read as much as I read last week, but Jesus has gone intentionally into Samaria. He's gone to this well. He's met this woman intentionally, and He's starting to sort of interact with her. We we see what He's doing as we read the end of the story. But yes, He reveals her sin to her. He talks to her about her sin, and it shocks her because he, He understands what she's doing and, and so she changes the subject to worship. And that section where she changes the subject to worship is what we've been looking at. And it's how Christ met her where she was. He met her in the discussion she wanted to have. He, he let her change the subject 
from her sin, and in that process He revealed Himself as the Messiah and the Savior, granted her repentance and faith, changed her life. That wasn't an accident. It wasn't a happenstance meeting. It was a sovereign appointment, Christ going after one of His sheep. And that is true of each one of us if we've come to faith in Him. But let's, let's read a little bit of the section where uh, Jesus has promised living water. If, they, if, if, the, if the, she would ask Him, He would give her living water. She wants it so that she doesn't have to come to the well and draw water. And she's coming at a time of day when nobody else would be there so that in her shame she could go get water without interacting with people. But in verse 16, as He picks it up, as Jesus is revealing her sin, Jesus says, go call your husband and come back or come here. This is what shocks her. He says, the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right. Now imagine this. Imagine you're talking to this dude at the well and whatever your sin is and thing you're trying to hide, he just brings it out into the open. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. Watch this. You are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oh, Let's talk about something else. Verse 19, she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, and more than a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus said to me, said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Giving some specifics, right? Neither on this mount, see the, the Samaritans worship there on, on Gerizim and, and the Jews in Jerusalem. And he's saying the time is coming when place is not going to be the important factor. The old covenant typical people of Israel, yes, met at the, at the typical temple and, and did worship there in Jerusalem. But Jesus is already, he's, he's already saying, you know, I am the true temple. He will say that. And it won't matter where you worship. He says in verse, now watch, he's correcting. You worship what you do not know. That's pretty, that's pressing in. I mean, he's already pressed in and shocked her about her love life. You worship what you do not know. You Samaritans, it's plural. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. So I already mentioned that. Now watch this. And is now here because the king is there. The Messiah, the Christ is there. When true worshipers, and we brought out before, if they're true worshipers, there's false worshipers, and you already see how he's correcting that situation there. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. It'll be a matter of heart in accord with truth, matter of the spirit in accord with truth instead of place. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now watch. She, like Nicodemus, had a messianic expectation, right? And she says that. She says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us or tell us all things. And Jesus, now this is, this is about as plain as he ever gets with anybody, isn't it? I who speak to you am he. And that'll freak her out so bad she'll leave her water jar, run into the city and tell everybody she can get outside the door or in the door to come and see. Come and see. The one who told me everything I ever did. Could it be that this is the Messiah? Yes, it could be. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the beautiful story of redemption and that we see in the woman at the well and in Nicodemus and in all of the other saints and ourselves as you have brought the gospel into our lives that you have in a, in, a, in a different ways told us the same thing. I am he. I am the Savior. You've shown us our sin. You've shown us your grace and mercy. You've worked in our hearts to turn, Lord, and to receive your son for salvation. And you teach us with your word. And that's what we pray for this morning. I pray for any on the live stream, any who would listen to recordings, any sitting in the building here that don't know you, that have not come to faith in you. 
I pray that you would work in their hearts such that they would realize they haven't been good enough. They can't save themselves. They haven't kept your law in thought, word, and deed. Only Christ has. We need a Savior because we've broken your law. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, some might think they're too bad. They've done too much bad to be saved. They're not beyond the reach of your grace. Because you made a promise, Lord, that whoever looks to you in faith will be saved because you're working that in their hearts. Bring conviction. Bring, bring faith. Bring repentance. Lord, work in us and through us uh, for your glory this morning. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to love, honor, and trust you and grow in you as a result. Lord, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. It is in the name of Jesus I pray and ask it. Amen. Early in the life of Grace Church, some of you all don't know the story. Grace Church was born, if you want to put it that way, uh, really in the Ribeye Steakhouse. Right, with a few of us meeting there. And then in the Best Western, um, there originally was nine of us, which dwindled to seven because the Marine Corps sends people home and people get out of the Marine Corps and go home. But a little bit after that, we, we had been uh, meeting in the Best Western for a little while. They might have been 15 of us in there, maybe. And this new couple had come in, an older couple, and they'd stayed there and worshipped with us. And, you know, sometimes after a service, you, people run out as fast as they can. Sometimes they hang around. Sometimes they come to you. This couple came up to me after the service as, as I'm standing in the front and uh, I, I hang around a little bit in case people have questions. And they said to me, that was awesome. We really enjoyed that service. And then she said, only one thing was missing. And I said, what was that? She said, the Holy Spirit. Really? Okay. And I immediately knew what she meant because there's a few things that's true about this area. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of religion around here. There's a lot of legalism. There's not a lot of gospel. There's a lot of charismatic things around here that have a different understanding. And it seemed to me that what she was looking for was all the whipped up emotion. And I didn't whip people up. And so the Holy Spirit wasn't there. I don't know. I'm just guessing. For whatever reason, maybe... It, she didn't think the Holy Spirit was there. She didn't know how to identify whether or not the Holy Spirit was active in a worship service. And a lot of us don't, and we, and we need to be careful about that. How, that's an important question, isn't it? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is active in our midst as we worship God? How do we know? Is there a lot of spontaneous activity and jumping around and running around and having fits and dancing? Maybe, maybe everybody's speaking in tongues, which is unbiblical. I'll stop there. If you have questions, we can talk about that. Maybe angel feathers or gold dust are coming out of the air conditioning vents. Listen, if you think angels have real feathers, we... we Might be a dove got caught in a van in the air conditioning. Maybe a man's in front swinging his coat, knocking everybody down. Popping them on the head and knocking them down. Maybe everybody's laughing hysterically and they're out of control. Or there's these huge emotional highs. Or there's just moving music. None of those are signs of the Spirit's presence. Man can do all of that. How about this? Is it true that the Holy Spirit is boxed out by, ha boxed out by having a prepared order of worship and a prepared sermon? Having a service with no intentional 
emotional highs. In other words, we're not trying to manipulate that. Having a service with no extraordinary experiences. Not at least in the ones you're expecting. Does preparation box out the Spirit? We'll talk about that. How do we determine what it means to worship in Spirit? Is it just what we feel is right? Just what we're impressed in the moment to do? See, we get back to our series question, how does God want to be worshipped? That should be our primary concern. And Jesus answered that question for us. God is seeking worshipers. He is saving worshipers. He is creating worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. That's our discussion this morning. Last week we talked about truth. This week we'll talk about Spirit. Last week we said that worship in truth was true worship that is God-centered, word-shaped, and word-saturated. So in other words, it is, it, is, it is defined by the Word. Its content is the Word. And to the best of our ability, we're seeking to read the Word, preach the Word, pray the Word, sing the Word, respond to the Word. Because listen, we want to hear from God. We need to hear from God. That's our number one need in worship. We need to hear from God. And this is where we hear from God. From His Word. So we talked about worship and truth. I point you back to that. Just know that you can't separate the two. We just did that for sermon convenience. And this week we look at worship in spirit. Main point. Too much of a mouthful, I know. But here it is. Let us worship God in spirit by offering well-ordered worship from reverent hearts that are in awe of God and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Let us worship God in spirit by offering well-ordered worship from reverent hearts that are in awe of God and depending upon His spirit. One of the things I was taught in seminary And again, a lot of this content is coming from what was covered in the video. So this won't be an exhaustive list uh, on negative or positive, uh, but just a a helpful list, a thing that points us in the right direction, I think. But one of the things I was taught in seminaries, when you're trying to define something, sometimes it is as helpful or almost as helpful to say what it is not before you say what it is. So... The way of negation or saying what a thing is not a lot of times helps us see what it is. So I wanted to go that route this morning and and, and first say what worship in spirit is not. So very simple outline there. Look back at the text and just notice um, Jesus didn't hesitate to bring correction. The Samaritans were worshiping in the wrong place. They were worshiping in the wrong way. Uh, And he didn't hesitate to bring that correction to them. If you look back in verse 22, you'll see that. He says, it's pretty, pretty pointed, you worship what you do not know. They didn't really know who God was. They had a false conception of God. They worshiped in a way that was not in accord with that. There was a lot wrong with both the Jews in Jerusalem and the Samaritans there. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Because they had the full, at least at that point, revelation of God. They had been worshiping in a wrong, the wrong God. And they had been doing it in the wrong way. And, and, and listen, I never stand before you and tell you we have it all figured out. Always reforming, always growing, hopefully. Just as individually we're being sanctified, hopefully as a church we're being sanctified. But this is unmistakably true. Many today are in the same boat in the church. Worshiping a God they don't know in a way they shouldn't be doing it. A lot of segments of the church don't even prioritize theology. You know that you're a theologian, right? The minute you begin to tell somebody what, who Jesus is, the Jesus that you love, trust, and worship, you're engaging in theology. So theologians are not Ph.D. ivory tower people. We're all theologians. 
And just like some of them are bad theologians, some of us are bad theologians, and some of us are good theologians, and most of us are on the way. But we should care about that, and we should care about His Word, and we should want to know Him better. The Samaritans were worshiping a God of their imagination, and they were doing it in the wrong way, and many in the church today are in the same boat, inevitably. But from the the text that we have studied so far, we tried to demonstrate that. And, and talk about that from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So don't just knee-jerk against what I'm saying. Go back and listen to those sermons if, if you will and if, if you're interested. But here's a few things that worship in spirit is not. And when I say it is not, I'm, I'm saying it is not necessarily, um, this does not, these things can all happen without there being any worship at all. Worship in spirit. So the first thing that was brought out in the video, worship in spirit is not spirited worship. If you understand the difference between the two. To be spirited is to be full of energy and enthusiasm. and, And you saw that, you see it in a lot of places where there's freewheeling things going on. You see people running through the sanctuary. You see them diving in the floor. You see them doing all sorts of energetic things individualistic things, chaotic things that they should not be doing. Now listen, I'm not going to make a case this morning for the frozen chosen either. Because on both sides there's problems, right? But, but anything that's individualistic and draws attention to me, I should be careful about doing that. I don't want to distract anybody from their focus on the Lord. In worship. So spirited, to those kind of things. I once, I once had a friend who, who, and I won't even say what kind of church it was. I don't want to get off on that this morning. But I had a friend who um, walked up to the top of the hill where I lived and peeked in the windows of this church. And what he saw in there was what he perceived to be everybody speaking in tongues and running and jumping and throwing things. And he's like, it scared me to death. I'd never go in there. Man's good reason for that. So worship in spirit is not spirited worship necessarily. It's not all of that, and I better move on. Spirit in worship, worship in spirit is not limited to a particular style of music. If you will only go to a contemporary service that has contemporary music, there's something wrong with that. If you will only go to a traditional service that has traditional music, if you're limiting God's worship to a certain style of music, we have to be careful about that. I mean, we, when we were starting the church, literally, this honestly happened. We had people, and yes, they were more of a younger People. We had, uh, in a, one Sunday in particular, we had a group of probably 20 somethings. Three guys came in and left their wife in the car. Their wives in the car. I, that's my guess. Ladies were left in the car. They came in, stood in the back, looked around like this, and left. They never heard a hymn, they never heard a sermon. They, never, they just looked to see what we looked like. I guess we didn't measure up. I didn't have any tattoos on me. Nothing against tattoos if you have them. I've always hated needles. You'll have to chase me down and hold me down to stick me with any of it. Not all old music is bad. Not all new music is bad. Music has a purpose in worship, but music's purpose is to accompany, accompany and enable the singing not to be the show in itself, and not to drown out the singing. Worship in spirit, thirdly, is not indicated by big crowds. Football games draw big crowds, and yes, there's some worship going on. I'll go, I won't touch it. A lot of things draw big crowds that have nothing to do with God. And we get this confusion that because somebody has had to rent an an old basketball arena, that they're doing things right. 
People flock to have their ears tickled. People flock to things they enjoy. People flock to entertainment. It's not necessarily indicated by big crowds. I'm not making a case for small crowds. But that's God's business. Fourth, worship, worship in spirit is not synonymous with emotional highs. Whenever we're in a service and we have what we call a cloud nine experience or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we're caught up in worship and we have this experience and we're focused on God. Hopefully it's coming from a, a focus on God and who He is and His grace. And we ha- but we expect that to be all the time. And a lot of times, you know, I've almost never heard anybody say that when they came into a sermon and a service and they were, that it was just normal or that they were convicted and brought down by this. I've never heard, most times you don't hear people say, God was here today. I felt this presence. It's mostly when they're having an emotional high that people say that. I'm not against emotional highs, but I'm just saying they're not synonymous with worship in spirit. You can have emotional highs at a concert. You can have emotional highs at a football game. You can have emotional highs at you fill in the blank. It's not necessarily synonymous with worship in spirit. And if we're not careful... We go to worship looking for emotional highs. We go to worship looking for what we get out of it. And we determine whether or not it was good worship or whether or not we had a good experience. Who are we worshiping when we do that? Not God. We're not saying your will be done. Do what you know is necessary. Help me to sacrifice myself for you. We're saying, God, you've got to make me feel good. How about this? Worship in spirit is not necessarily in a place... Well, it's not in a place where the focus is all on the Holy Spirit. And all we ever talk about is the Holy Spirit. Yes, we should talk about the Holy Spirit, and we should teach about the Holy Spirit. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? But in a lot of places, that's all you hear. And that's not the Spirit doing that, because Jesus said the Spirit would point to Him, would highlight Him, would lift him up. So the Holy Spirit doesn't make himself the star and our experience the focus. Makes Christ the focus. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't teach on or focus on the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying it's not synonymous where you that's all you talk about. That's unbalanced. Almost almost done with this list. Worship in spirit is not necessarily evidenced by miraculous occurrences. Listen, if somebody's teeth turn gold in a worship service, that doesn't mean God was there. And it probably means they snuck them on there when you wasn't looking. If you ever see anybody lengthening somebody's leg, just leave. That's one of the oldest carnival tricks in the world. It's foolishness. It's not evidence of the spirit. Angel feathers, well, you already know how I feel about that. Yes, it talks about them having wings in the Bible. It also talks about God's wings. Do you think he has wings, literal, physical wings, that would have literal physical feathers that could fall out in a worship service? (sighs) Being slain in the Spirit. Show me that in the Bible, please. They went around popping people on the head and knocking them down. Aren't you afraid to talk about stuff like that? No. Because there's a lot of carnival shows out there. There's a lot of people like Benny Hinn doing a lot of foolish things out there and taking people captive and taking their money. Listen to Costi Hinn, his nephew, who used to travel with him. He'll tell you what it was all about. I am not afraid to speak against Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, all of that crowd, because I'm not speaking against the Lord's anointed. The Word tells me what faithful prophets, faithful ministers will look like. And it's not that. Don't be intimidated by those people. And certainly don't be taken in by those people. There's a lot of so-called miraculous events taking place that, number one, aren't miraculous, and they're definitely not evidence of the Spirit. They're not biblical. And those people should not be listened to. And if they wasn't being listened to, they wouldn't be flying in all these Gulfstream jets and stuff that they buy with 
well, not your money, because none of you are giving them money, with people's money. Y'all know me. I can get lost on this, so I'm going to move on. Listen to me. Worship in spirit, last thing I'm going to mention, is not evidenced by a loss of self-control. It's not evidenced by a lot of hilarity and hilarious laughter. It's not evidenced by not being able to move. It's not, it's not evidenced by crawling around in a service barking like a dog. Show me that in the Bible. Y'all are getting nervous, ain't you? I really love you enough to tell you the truth if all of you leave. Because a lot of people are being taken captive by stuff that's not biblical. And this is the standard, not what the dude says. There's no latest word of God that's not in here. God didn't tell him anything that's not in here. In fact, what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. If the Spirit is about producing self-control in the lives of His people, and people are exhibiting a loss of self-control, who's doing that? Is it the Spirit? I know, logic's out of fad these days. Much that masquerades as worship in spirit these days is man-centered and man-created, not of God. Many, many, many are in the habit of going to worship first for what they get out of it, entertained, emotional high, new experiences. This is a warning this morning before I move on to what worship in spirit is. If I am primarily focused on how worship makes me feel or what I experience in it, I'm distracted from Christ and I am not worshiping in spirit. I'm to come through those doors with a heart of self-sacrifice. Sacrificing myself to worship Him, to offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving Him. Sacrificing myself to benefit and bless my brothers and sisters. Not coming through the door going, God, you got to jump through my hopes. you got to make me feel good today. you got to give me enough to get me through the week. No, because He's given you enough to get... What does He pray? Give me this day, give us this day our weekly bread by somebody else pouring a bunch in my head. No. It's about Jesus. It's about God and His glory. It's about us in submission to that, to serve Him, to serve one another. Yes, we'll be benefited by it, sanctified by it, grown by it, saved by it. But we don't come in looking for what we can get out of it. We come in looking for what we can give to it. That's our heart. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. That's Christianity. That's worship in spirit. None of these things necessarily evidence worship in spirit. These are just a few negative examples. But enough, hopefully, to be helpful. Let's turn and talk about what worship in spirit is. We know what worship in spirit is because we know what worship in truth is. We know the Bible defines it and tells us what it is. It's not left up to us to guess. Okay? Look back in verse 23 and 24 again, where he says, The hour is coming and is now here, because he was there. When Jesus was doing something momentous, he was going to rock the world. The, the gospel would change the world. The gospel would change worship. The day of Pentecost would come when the Spirit would empower the whole church to worship in spirit and truth. It would no longer be located, limited to a typical temple, but the Christ was the true temple, and in Him the church is the temple, and where we are gathered is true worship. But He says, The time is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must Worship 
in spirit and truth. And I've said before, we can't separate those. We keep them together. The truth tells us what worship in spirit is. We just did that for two sermons, and maybe it's less helpful than I thought, but just keep reminding you of that. So what is worship in spirit? And when he says <clears throat> we must worship in spirit and truth, and we're focused on spirit today, is that our spirit or God's spirit? It's not either or, but both and. Piper says it this way. He says, true worship comes only from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Holy Spirit. So in our spirits, in our, what we call our hearts, in the core of our being, that's where worship should come from because we have a new heart that's been changed by the Spirit and then all of our actions as Christians, all of our sanctification is empowered by the Spirit and directed by the Spirit through the truth of the Word of God. So first, in order to offer true worship to God, we must be born again. We must be born anew. We must be born from above. We must come to faith like the woman at the well in Jesus. Is that true of you? Have you come to the place by God's grace where you see your sin? Yes, I have broken His law. Not only broken it, I have shattered it. There's not one I have kept. Because to keep it, you have to keep it in thought, word, and deed. Always thinking the wrong thing, never thinking the wrong, the right, I mean, always thinking the right thing, never thinking the wrong thing. Always saying the right thing. We're done before that, but if we're not done by now, we're done now. Never saying the wrong thing, and always doing the right thing, never doing the wrong thing, as it is defined by His commandments. Sin is lawlessness. It is breaking His law. Has God shown you that you have lived for other than Him. That you haven't worshipped Him His way. That you've dishonored His name and not honored His day. That, that in your heart you've been angry with your brother. And sometimes without cause, Jesus called that murder. That you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus said that's where it starts. If you look on, an opposite sex, if you look on the opposite sex with lust, you've committed adultery. Have you stolen anything very small? Even words. Plagiarism is a big topic right now. I promise you I didn't get this sermon off the internet. You can probably tell that. Um, have we coveted what is not ours? Thought I'd be happier if I had what they have. Have we lied? Have we ever told an untruth? And you just have to say Yes. If you're thinking rightly, we've broken His law. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to physically die. We deserve to spiritually die, separated from His blessing. We deserve condemnation, and it will never end. Has God shaken you to the core so that you see your sin and your need of a Savior? But He won't leave you there. If He's doing that work, He'll also show you the mercy of God available in Christ His Son so that you turn and trust in Jesus. And it's not you do your best and He'll do the rest. Right? For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler who said he was a pretty good guy? He said, there's none good but God. Do you even know what you're saying? None of us have kept His commandments. We all deserve His condemnation. In fact, we're under condemnation until we come to Christ. And if you think the gospel is foolishness and if you think you're okay and you're good enough, you're just deluded. You need to have God show you differently. But Christ lived for... Why did Jesus even have to come, Galatians 4.4? It says He came at the right time, born under His own law, basically to save His people. Christ... Kids, you know the verse, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever does the best they can, whosoever believes in Him, shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. You cannot worship God if you're not born again, if you don't have the Spirit living within you. If you're not in faith in Jesus, it is not acceptable because it is only acceptable in Him. But if you're in Christ, even if you feel your weakness and some days you don't even know that you're saved, yes, that happens to true Christians. A lot of times people who aren't saved presume on it and believe they are, but a lot of times people who are doubt it. The Spirit's at work in you. You can worship God weakly and feebly and know that it's accepted, Hebrews tells us, because it goes through Jesus. So in our spirits and by His Spirit, we worship Him according to His truth. Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision, the true circumcision, the true Jews, we'll talk about that in Romans 2, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So God's Spirit ignites and energizes our spirit to worship God with and by the Word of God as the Word reveals. So what are some of the characteristics of true worship in spirit? Here, here you go. Here's my other list. And that's just coming straight from the text. The first one, it's heart worship. It's heart worship. It's my heart being engaged with who my God is and offering itself to Him to, to praise Him and to thank Him for His grace in my life. It comes from the core of our being. When we worship in spirit, our hearts are focused on God and engaged with God through the truth of God. True worship is inside out, not outside in. Therefore, it's from the heart by true faith. Remember, we quoted this verse last time, what Jesus said to His critics and contemporaries. He said, This people honors Me with their lips. Listen, I'm convicted by this. I, ho I hope you will be. How many times have I sung a hymn without even knowing what I'm singing because I'm thinking about my grandkids or dinner or lunch or how crazy this preacher's acting? Jesus said this, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Just coming in here and mouthing hymns is not worship to God. Just being present. I know some of you were made to come here this morning. Either by your wife or your parents or your guilt. And you can't wait for it to be over so you can get to the fun stuff. Well, in that, in that setting, we can't worship God. We either need Jesus or we need to repent so that we're focused on Him. But Jesus says it's dishonoring to try to worship Him, but our hearts are far from Him, and to do it in a way that man thinks is right. Here's a, here's a good example of it. Mary in the Magnificat. She says this in Luke 1, 46 and 47. Now watch this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's a positive example. Don't let the Catholics have Mary. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about in the life of Mary. And there's a lot of foolish ideas about Mary too on, on some side. But there she is worshiping in spirit and worshiping in truth because her soul is magnifying the Lord and what was true of Him and her spirit was rejoicing in God. Yes, she needed a Savior. My Savior. So the first, the first thing that it means to worship in spirit is to worship from the heart. And listen, let me tell you, I'm not just throwing legalistic things at you. The only way you can do that is to prepare your heart before you come in here. And to come in with this kind of attitude. Lord, whatever happens, help me to focus my heart on you and sacrifice myself to you to give you praise and thanksgiving. And as I do that, use me to encourage my brothers and sisters around me who see me singing for you and, and, and whatever else happens, listening, all of those things. It's, it's, it's heart worship. Now, number two, it is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us we can do nothing apart from Him. And if you'll go read the command to be filled with the Spirit in 5.18, you'll see some of that is following up His worship, which is parallel in Colossians 3.16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Spirit works through the Word, in other words. To produce. But we need to come in trusting the Spirit to empower us to worship God. Don't be afraid to pray that way. May your Spirit empower me to glorify you in worship. 
by worshiping you from the heart, according to your word, and on, on, on you can pray. We worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit, and we look to the Spirit for power and direction from His Word. Again, I point you back to last week. So it's heart worship. It's dependent worship. We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, it's characterized by reverence and awe. A lot of what is, goes under the title of worship these days has no tone of reverence and awe. If somebody's diving into a baptismal pool, that is not reverence and awe. T-Rex is dancing on the stage or stormtroopers, whatever you want. That, that's not, no, that's about us and us being entertained. Hebrews says this in 1228, Therefore let us be grateful. What are we, we, it starts with being grateful. Be grateful that we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will never end, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us offer to God acceptable worship. Look, there is acceptable worship and unacceptable worship. I'm not making this up. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Which tags us right back to Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament. And I don't, I've done that previously, so you'll have to go listen to that. But what is reverence and awe? We worship in spirit when we are in awe of God. And we are seeking to honor Him first and foremost. So reverence is a holy fear. It's a holy fear and obedience. The English def definition of reverence is deep respect and regard. I mean, did we come through the door with a deep respect and regard for God, with a holy fear of God? Do we tremble at His Word? See, what it, one of the things Jesus taught us to pray, right out of the box, right? Hallowed be Your name. May your name be treated as holy. May I, may I reverence you as holy so that I come in in deep respect for you, realizing, yes, I'm a sinner, but I, I have Christ, so I am a saint and empowered, but I'm empowered to sacrifice myself to worship you. So help me to come to worship with deep respect and, and awe of you that causes me to focus on you. And not really be focused on the circumstances of worship, but on you and honoring you through the truth that is prayed, preached, sung, all of that. In other words, being God-centered. Centered on what He desires and commands. There's so little awe of God these days, isn't there? The only reason there's a lack of awe is there's a lack of thirst for Him and a lack of diving into who He is in the Word. If you need to be refreshed in that, do a study of God's attributes. And there are a lot of good books to help you with that. And you will find yourself being refreshed in holding God in awe. So you'll come in in reverence. The last thing I'll say is, is sort of when I'm not in the sermon here. I don't want to fool you. But the last thing on my list here is we worship in spirit when everything is done decently and in order. You see how that eliminates a lot of stuff? When Paul was trying to correct... Listen, I find it interesting that people can go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and end up in the very place that Paul was rebuking because they cherry-picked verses out of it. Instead of reading it in context. But one of the things Paul put before them in trying to correct their abuses of worship was that for 1 Corinthians 14, 40, all things, what does all things mean? Everything, right? Is anything left out of all things? Is there room for some things in the church being done not this way? No. Look what he said. All things should be done in chaos, and that's okay because we'll know that's how God works. No. Everything in the church, in worship, go read it. Everything should be done decently and in order. Well, what does that word for decent mean? A fitting or becoming manner of behavior. Appropriate conduct. Self-control. 
If I'm not exhibiting self-control, I'm not worshiping God in spirit, and the spirit didn't do that in me. My flesh did it. What are the perennial enemies? The world, the flesh, and yes, there's a devil. Aren't you afraid to say, no. Word. In a fitting or becoming way, in an appropriate way, in a self-controlled way, so that the attention is not on me, it is on Him. And in order, that's decent, in order. Look at, listen to me on this now. Everything needs to be done decently and in order. What does in order mean? To arrange, to compile, to put together an ordered or arranged sequence according to proper arrangement ahead of time, not freewheeling. For some reason, and I don't know where this got started, but people think evidence of the Spirit will be a lot of spontaneity. You know, the Spirit, in other words, I've heard people say this, the Holy Spirit has to break into our worship services to get us to change the order. Where do you get such ideas as that? Not from His Word. For some people, th- people some reason people think worship in spirit has to be spontaneous and without prearranged order. They'll say things like, you can't put the spirit in a box. And what they mean by that, so really anything goes, no limits, go by what the spirit leads in the moment. And I'm saying... Be careful. Small scale, maybe there's some things, there's some truth to that because when I'm preaching, everything I say is not on the paper. But in general, things should be prepared for and put together. You're not putting the Spirit in a box. He built His own box. He promises He won't contradict this. He promises He won't defy this. He promises this is the way we should go and this is what we should do. This is the box He built, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's Word. So if anybody put Him in a box, He did that. So, listen to me. To let Scripture define shape and shape worship is to not let Scripture, not to let, to not let Scripture define and shape worship is to defy and dishonor and displease the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Lazy, unplanned worship is dishonoring to the God we came to love, we claim to love. Lazy, unplanned sermons are dishonoring to the God. We, came to, we claim to know and love. And it's dishonoring to you. Imagine I didn't study this week and I just came in here and stood up here and in my heart, even if I didn't say it, I said, okay, Lord, give me what I'm supposed to say. You know what's going to probably happen if I do that? I'm going to go read a verse of Scripture and jump off of that and say things that are just coming out of my own head. That would dishonor you and that would dishonor God. And it's not a lack of faith. The Holy Spirit is just as involved in my preparation as He is my preaching. And He's just as involved in the preparation for worship as He is the execution of the worship service. So to just do things by the seat of your pants and just be freewheeling, claiming that's how the Spirit's going to work, that is dishonoring to God and to His glory and to His grace. Ministry, worship, Preaching, that should be hard work. And hard work honors God. And He's involved in it. You better be praying while you're preparing and asking Him to lead. But where did we get the idea that if the Spirit's working, it has to be spontaneous and a lot of times crazy? Not from here. Not from here. Worship in spirit is worship of the Father in the name of and through the Son by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And it is shaped by the truth of the Word of God. It is heart-focused, so reverence and awe in the heart, expressed through Christ. God-centered, Spirit-empowered, well-ordered worship is worship in spirit. That's what the Word of God teaches us. So my main point, I'll read it again. Let us worship God in spirit by offering well-ordered worship from the 
reverent hearts that are in awe of God and dependent on the Holy Spirit. All because Christ has brought me to faith in Him. He's tracked me down in my own well, in my own sidecar, and revealed Himself and saved me. So I'll give you these points quickly and then I'm done. How do I de- therefore, how do I identify worship in spirit? Because some of you go to different churches. Some of you will move and go to different churches. Some of you are in a church search now. I don't know who I was listening to over the internet. How do I ident- identify true worship in spirit and truth? First, and this might seem self-serving. It's not. It's just what God's Word teaches, okay? The first thing you should look for is the Word faithfully and rightly preached with Christ in the center. Without this, no matter what else happens, it is not worship in spirit and truth. The, the, the primary thing for you in looking for a church should be the Word rightly taught and preached. So if you find that church where the, the Word is, you can tell it's worked on hard and it's, it's rightly preached, it's, it's honoring to God, it's the whole counsel of God. They're, they're trying to teach me the Word of God. Go there. Even if the songs are old and crusty, go there. Even if they don't have children's church, go there. Children's church is not... It's a recent invention, by the way. We don't want to remove our children into a separate place. The Word is primary in true worship, and without the Word faithfully and rightly preached, it is not worship in spirit and truth. That writes a lot of stuff off at the get-go. The most important thing is how is the Word preached and taught. That's the first identifier for worship in spirit and truth. Secondly, everything will be God-centered and gospel-rich. Be pointing me to God and what He requires, what He has done, who Christ is, what the Word teaches me about Him and my responsibility to Him through what He's commanded. It'll be God-centered and gospel-rich. Thirdly, everything will be done according to what the Word requires. So that church will be trying to worship God according to what the Word teaches. Now, fourthly, the service will be well-ordered and the conduct of the worshipers will exhibit self-control. I hope you see I'm drawing that straight from Scripture. And lastly, the tone of the service will be one of reverence for and awe of God. That will be the tone of a worship service, of a life, of a people worshiping together who are truly worshiping in spirit. If you find these things, you find worship in spirit and truth. And the Spirit of God is not missing. Let us love Him and worship Him this way. This is a summary of what His Word calls worship in spirit and truth. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, deliver us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Deliver us unto Christ. Deliver us into the truth of your word. So empower us by your spirit to love you and be in awe of you and hold you in reverence because we see in your word who you are and what you've done for us. Help us to honor you in everything that we do and say. Help us to grow in grace every Sunday to be more and more reformed, more and more faithful, more and more biblical as we go forward. Revive and refresh us in living lives that are characterized by self-denial and love of God and neighbor. May our worship be worshiped that is that way, that is in reverence and awe, that is 
well-ordered, that is focused on you and dependence on your spirit according to your word. Lord Jesus, apply to us what you taught this woman. That the Father seeks worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And what your word teaches about how to worship in spirit and truth. Lord, convert anyone who's listening who doesn't know you from the youngest to the oldest, that hasn't been convicted of their sins, that doesn't see their need of a Savior, that hasn't turned and trusted in Christ. Grant them repentance and faith, I pray. And we who are your people who know you, grant us growing and increasing and never-ending repentance so that we're lining up more and more and more with your word, so that we're becoming more and more and more like Christ. In other words, save and sanctify your people. Lord Jesus, rule and reign and send us to the ends of the earth with the good news of your gospel, the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he was raised the third day and that salvation is a free gift in him. Bless us, Lord. Make us pleasing in your sight. And may it be our joy to be so. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.